0: Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, Michael McKee and Tom Keane
1: Live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991 to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119.
0: Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, Michael McKee and Tom King. We welcome all of you uh, worldwide on economics, finance, uh, and investment. Mike, a churn going on before Jobs Day tomorrow, and some of it is a holistic sense of our political economy.
2: There had not been any real um, conviction in the economy at this point, uh, in the markets uh, at this point. Um, futures little changed on the day. Okay, well,
0: very good. Uh, now, an interview on a larger economy. Here is our Eric Schatzker with the one Ray Dalio.
3: On behalf of our Bloomberg television viewers and our Bloomberg radio listeners, worldwide welcome. Thank you. Let's get right to it. Uh, Ray, people who know you, who follow you, know that you've developed models to explain how the economy works. And anybody who's even remotely familiar with Bridgewater, Uh, knows about the machine, for example, knows about the importance of the business cycle, and furthermore, the importance of the long-term debt cycle. What are those models telling you right now?
1: Well, let me just take a second and just review the model so everybody knows. Um, So I'm saying that um, over a period of time, productivity matters the most. What you earn is what you can get to spend. But around that, there are two debt cycles. There's a short-term debt cycle that lets you spend more than you earn over a short period of time, but when you pay back, you have to spend less. And that there's that cycle, the five to eight-year cycle, is the business cycle. We're used to that; everybody understands that. And then there's a long-term debt cycle that um, goes on 50, 75 years, and um, it goes through its limitations. When you have too much debt relative to income, so you can't service it anymore, and when interest rates go to zero, so there can't be stimulation, we have run out of monetary policy number one, and we have to go to monetary policy number two. Monetary policy number two is quantitative easing. This happened in the Great Depression, happened recently, and that means the purchase of financial assets by the central bank and the sellers of those financial assets then buy other financial assets, and they cause those other financial assets to rise in price and have the effect of lowering returns. those expected returns. And when those other expected returns are low in relationship to cash, one is almost indifferent. And so when you buy that bond, when the Fed makes puts that money in the system, that person is going to then go not – it's indifferent, and that, that's called pushing on a string. And pushing on a string began in 1935, and we're going into a situation which is generally worldwide somewhat analogous to that. So We're I, there again. We're approaching it. So if I just take country by country now, if I could give you um, a world
3: tour. A okay. world tour. Let's do that quickly.
1: Okay. Um, so Japan was there first.
3: For a couple of decades.
1: For a couple of decades. Pushing on a string because they hit interest rates uh, right. at zero. And Stock now they've embarked on the now. most
3: aggressive quantitative easing program the world has ever seen.
1: And and they're trying to stimulate to get two percent inflation and they're going nowhere. It's not working. And it's not working. So what's Europe there? is there? Okay. Okay. Europe, if you look at the um, across the curve, we have interest rates at zero or slightly negative, depending on where. Mm-hmm. Okay. That so interest rates is certainly not going to work. And then the purchases of those financial assets are getting transmitted and currency movements and the like and the effect of raising those assets is not, is very limited. So we're there in Europe. Very close to being there in Europe. In the United States we have a little bit more room. We're very close to zero interest rates. And then if you take the spreads, the spreads are, are relatively low. So a little less than a 2% bond yield. We think equities expected returns probably are around 4%. So there's some spread there, some ability. The issue is if that creates asymmetric risks. Mm-hmm. To the downside. To the downside, meaning um, it's, tightening is always going to be effective. You, it's easy. You raise interest rates and things will slow down because everybody's got a lot of debt. Not a problem. The situation is the risk on the downside, because if you have a movement on the downside, it's a risky situation. So we're going to have to see um, and you'll see increased exploration of the movement to, make, to to make other forms of stimulation, which I'm calling monetary policy three. Monetary policy three will not be just through quantitative easing. We got quantitative easing by Financial assets from people who have it, and it stays in the financial community. We're going to have to move toward, increasingly, the making of uh, purchases that put money directly in the hands of spenders. Because the linkage between having money in the financial assets and having spending is becoming weaker and weaker.
3: Can I just pause for a moment? Sure. So what you're effectively saying to me is that Monetary policy, one, interest rates has sort of run its course. It's become ineffective. Monetary policy, two, quantitative easing, if I take you correctly, ineffective. Central banks are now going to have to print money and hand it to consumers?
1: In one fashion or in another. Um, They're going to have to go more directly to spenders. How
3: how does that work?
1: Well, it can work in um, either a combination of fiscal and monetary policy. There's a continuum of how it's worked in history. In some cases, you can have the federal government um, run deficits, which the central central bank essentially monetizes Mm -hmm. by lending them money, and that's one path. And then there's a continuum. And on that continuum, the far side of that continuum is called helicopter money. Mm-hmm. Uh, what helicopter money uh, means um, is the process of essentially pu- putting it directly in your hands. The central bank has the capacity, legally, to essentially get money in your hands. There's a legal, in, the laws change from place okay. to place, to put it directly in your hands to have you spend it. In other words, to not bypass to bypass the financial markets to do that. So there's a range of ways that that can be done. History is is loaded with them. We're just not acquainted with them because they haven't happened in our lifetimes before. I see. In other words, these long-term debt cycles come once a lifetime, and people once are once a not, century even. Once a century even. So they're rare. And, and but but if you go back over history and you see them, they've happened many times.
3: So let's look a little more short-term because that's going to take some time to play out. I take it, and and it, and examine what's going to happen in the next little while. Good um you have been saying for some time that you anticipate the fed's going to have to ease again and possibly even embark on a new round of quantitative easing
1: that the next big move there'll be minor moves like you may get another 25 basis point move but the knock Yeah you down. could get up we, you, so you, Fed, you, could, you could see another 25 basis point rise in rates. I'm not saying that you couldn't see. I just want to be clear. Yeah. The next big move, I believe, will have to be toward quantitative easing rather than a big tightening. You, you, you won't see a big tightening. So the next move we, we, could be up, could be down. Yeah, t- the tick. Yeah, you could get an uptick. The next as t- early as a couple of weeks from now? I don't think... I think that they'd be a. Seri- I've always said, and I continue to say, I think it would be a serious mistake. I think that the F- Federal Reserve has come around to the notion of that the, we're living in a world economy, and that the circumstances that are now happening are surprising them, have surprised mm-hmm. them, because they're not paying enough attention to the long-term debt cycle. In other words, what is, there's a reason that their attitudes have changed, okay. and I'm, I think it's great that their attitudes have changed about that risk. But if you look at the around the world, our risk is not inflation and our risk is not overheating economies.
3: Okay, so you still feel the same way about the trajectory of the Federal Reserve and its That's monetary right. policy. If, the, asymmetric, if, if the, the risks that we've talked about, if they're asymmetrically to the downside for the global economy and for the effectiveness of monetary policy because of this compression of the spread between the return on fixed income you know, and risk assets, what does that mean for asset
1: prices? Well, it means that um, asset prices correct to a point where the risk premiums come back. Well, in other we've words, seen a little bit of that. That's right? right. In other words, the correction that's happened in the stock market, let me be clear, I'm not bearish on the stock market. No? Oh, no, I'm not bearish on the stock market. I'm saying that what we have is, as you have those risk premiums, mm-hmm. but let's say uh, I expect probably stocks will have about a 4% return. In other words, long-term return, 4%. That's a problem for a lot of savers. But nonetheless, the choices and are... pension
3: funds like the university we're at right now.
1: Yes, and pension funds and a lot of savers. It's a big problem that is like a slow-growing cancer because it will not happen overnight, but it will mean that we won't have enough money to fund those things. But nonetheless, investors make a choice of assets, and the choices are cash, which has zero return, mm-hmm. Um, a bond, which has less than 2% return, and equities, as we calculated, has something like a 4% expected return. So when you look at those assets, what would happen is as they sell off, it has the effect of making those assets more attractive and, and, and then draws us in or draws others in. The issue here that we're dealing with is the possibility of the negative feedback loop that comes from that and the ineffectiveness of monetary policy. So when stocks go down, and it has a negative wealth effect, that has a negative effect on the economy. And when that has a negative effect on the economy and you don't have the ability to ease, what I'm worried about is should the situation become weak enough in the economy, like Japan's situation for, like you said, two decades, you will have a situation where then they have to do something else.
3: Ray, I'm going to take this opportunity just to remind everybody that uh, this is Ray Dalio, of course, the founder, chairman, co-CIO of Bridgewater Associates, and we're simulcasting live on Bloomberg Radio, welcoming everybody to the conversation. Um, let's go beyond stocks. If the long-term average annual return for stocks is 4 percent, and obviously it's less for government bonds and cash at the moment and for the time being is zero, uh, what makes sense as an investment strategy what do you buy what you know what do you short effectively I mean, you know broadly speaking where what what's going to work well i think and what is working perhaps more appropriately today
1: um i think there are two ways that the average investor should think of investing uh one is um are you going to create a good strategic asset allocation mix that is a balanced portfolio that means that you're not going to go to the betting table and bet against active investors like me. Look, Mm -hmm. look, I'm I'm scared of being wrong in the markets. It is not easy to win in the market. It is more difficult to win in the markets than to compete in the Olympics. Hang on a second.
3: Hang on a second. You guys have an extraordinary track record of winning. Yeah. Is it harder to compete in the markets today than it has been since you founded Bridgewater?
1: No, I don't think so. Really? Not the way we do it. And the reason I'm saying not the way we do it is we don't take systematic biases. I think for a lot of people, they're systematically long everything, you know? And so we have a world in which when the world gets bad, it's bad for them. In 2008, it was great for us. I don't know. We had nearly a 10% return in 2008. So we have the opportunity to go either way. We just may be wrong (laughs) if we're wrong. So so I'm so scared about being wrong that it has helped reduce.
3: Not reflective of how the leaders are handling the economy. Based on what you've seen, do you feel better about their ability to handle their debt situation now than you did, say, six months ago?
1: Um, uh, Probably uh, uh, about the same. The balance of payments issue is going to be a challenge. Let me, um, If you want to get into the balance of payments, I'll explain it just a little bit. But the balance of payments has to do with the currency. A lot of money leaving the country. Yes. uh, And
3: and they are draining the reserves very quickly.
1: That's right. Because money is leaving the country. And also, these cycles happen every place. But what happens is when the money is leaving the country and less money wants to go into the country, it creates a balance of payments issue. Um, in terms of that money leaving the country, they have a lot of control over that nature of that money because a lot of those are state-owned enterprises and other things. For example, they've just opened the bond market to foreign investment. We estimate that probably in um, maybe 18 months or two years, that'll be worth about probably in the vicinity of maybe $200 billion of inflows. Oh, in other words, you could have, by opening the bond market and having foreign investors invest in the market, it will also attract money in. Many of their companies are state owned companies and multinational companies, and they have greater controls over the, the than we might think for ourselves and, and so on. So while there's a balance of payments challenge uh, there, there are also ways to to deal with that. I'm not saying it's not a challenging situation. It is a challenging situation. But I'm, the tools to management, and, and I would say the capabilities of managing it are um, are excellent. I will say that, um, you know, I, I, I get to know different economic leaders around uh, the world in, in different ways, and I would say that their capabilities are equal to the best that exist uh, anyway in terms of uh, the things that need to be done, which are monetary fiscal policy, restructuring debts, I mean, all of those types of things. And there is an advantage. Look, there are a lot of disadvantages to a a, a system like that. But one of the greater advantages is that there's also greater controls over things.
3: Do you think to fix this balance of payments issue you've described, they'll have to devalue their currency?
1: I you know um, i don't know um, i guess the, the thing that i would say is um, there's a balance of payments pressure i uh it's one of those things where the, it's too close to call the tool, the tools that are there are are really great in many ways And then it's just one of those too close to call situations.
3: When we go back to what you were describing, the failures of uh, monetary policy one, interest rates, the failures of monetary policy two, quantitative easing, the possibility of monetary policy three, where uh, somehow governments get cash directly into the hands of consumers, um, does that augur – what does that augur well or poorly for? You know, if you're thinking as an investor.
1: Well, um, I th- well, it, if you're thinking, there's the economy and there's the investor. I was going to ask the, answer the economy part of first, but you've asked from the perspective of the investor. Um, from the pe- perspective of the investor, I would use um, Japan as being more of um, what is most more likely, unless there is uh, a debt restructuring to, to deal with these things. Meaning, um, we. We've raised the limits as as to debt relative to our incomes as as a group. There's the private sector, there's the public sector, but let's take us as a country, then take us as a world. So include Europe, take China, take the whole world. The world has a limitation right now in terms of you can't raise much debt, so we can't borrow our ways to higher spending. With the zero interest rates being down there, that's where we are. And then in terms of returns, we're going to have a low-return environment. And that low-return environment is the main issue. that, That becomes the main issue. But
3: when you liken it to Japan, Ray, and I just want to remind everybody who's watching, again, Bloomberg television viewers and Bloomberg radio listeners worldwide, does that mean that the United States and Europe, the developed world, broadly speaking, of course, Japan is part of that, but... Is that the trajectory? Is that the road that we're headed down? That um, we're so looking. At? Loosely
1: speaking, I believe that that's the most likely scenario. Meaning, slow growth, very slow growth, deflation, ups and downs. Okay. Um, the increased difficulty in stimulating monetary policy that was manifest in deflation. The movement toward increasingly. Other alternatives, ways of having monetary policy that will produce stimulation. More currency volatility. But in other words, I'd, I'm not expecting something like 2008 because 2008 was a debt crisis. There were a lot of debts coming due and they, they couldn't be paid and that was what 2008 was. This is not like a crisis situation that, that way. It's not one of the, you know, I don't think we're going to probably see the big bang crisis type of thing. I think that what we're going to see is this kind of situation in which there's the dynamic of of a relative stagnation, low returns, and also the um, uh you know, not much picking up and low returns and stagnant and volatile markets, choppier markets probably over a period of time. So because like, like what we've seen like the, 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 like, like, like at the beginning of this year? Yeah. It's because as you as you have the zero interest rates and then you have the market sell off. Then the market sell off brings back risk premiums, and there's a lot of liquidity. And so from an investor point of view, okay, then you might move out from something like cash or a bond or something to a, a, an asset like equities, and you might move out. And so you have this movement up and down as those risk premiums change. But, but investors just
3: have to decide that, that those risk assets have repriced enough to create an attractive enough spread between. That's, that's and, right.
1: Are we there yet? Um, well, I, I, you know, as I, no one knows exactly what that range is. I think that becomes the nature of it. And then we have to see what that, whether there's that negative feedback loop. I see. Okay, because that part of the negative feedback loop is, in other words, stocks go down, and that then means the wealth effect is lessened. And as the dollar goes up and the wealth effect is – and that makes us less competitive – now, both the rise in the value of the dollar and the decline in the value of stocks is essentially a tightening of monetary policy, and there's a tight globally. There's a tightening of world economic activity, and those negatives, um, how exactly they pass through to the economy, is the asymmetric risks that I'm referring to. I see, Ray. While you're
3: sitting here, uh, I, w- I want to touch on something that I know is important to you because it's attracted a little bit of attention lately, shall we say, which is. Bridgewater's culture Mm -hmm. and the attention that it's attracted is due to this notion that there is some kind of a dispute, if you will, between you and your co-CIO, Greg Jensen. Give me a sense of what's going on behind Uh, the scenes. I mean... uh, uh, No, 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 but culture is... That's why people are asking questions about it again.
1: uh, Okay. Um, The way that we succeed is by having thoughtful disagreement. When I... um, I'm so scared about being wrong, and the key to my success and our success is to try to find people who disagree with us, who are smart, and try to understand their point of view so that we can have disagreement. In order for us to have independent thinkers, there's going to have to be disagreement. Um, A moderation and a bringing together of people in terms of a common mission and and thoughtful disagreement, while we're talking about thoughtful disagreement, if you could work your way through to get at the right answers, Um, then this is all manageable. Um, So so politics does matter. In answer to your question of how we deal with it, we measure what their actions are. And based on their actual actions, then we make our responses.
3: Ray, I want to thank you very much on behalf of Bloomberg Television viewers, radio listeners worldwide. It's been such a pleasure here at the University of Texas. Ray Dalio, he's the chairman, founder, and co-CIO of Bridgewater Associates. Eric Chesker
0: with Ray Dalio, an extended conversation we do all that around a market opening. You're the bell in the background. That was a bell in the background as Ray Dalio uh, was speaking. Our opening bell brought to you by SEI. Today's competitive marketplace requires asset managers to become more operationally adept. Imagine transforming your business with SEI's global platform. Do that at com slash imagine com. Seic.com. Slash, imagine, right on the screen, it's been a goofy day. Markets all over the place, waffling, maybe to tomorrow's jobs report, negative 24 is a first print on the Dow, 16,875, S&P down two points. We do have a print on the VIX, a little bit higher, after a good couple days, 17.25. I'm just gonna mention one stock, cause we've got so much to talk about. And that would be Herbalife. Uh, we do have an opening, 53, down $3.30, uh, $3.38. On Herbalife. We'll get to that uh, here in a moment. We look at equities, bonds, currencies, commodities. Let's look at the Forex report right now. And that brief brought you by Interactive Brokers, winner of FX Week's 2015 Award for the Best Retail Forex Training Platform. Visit IB at ibkr.com slash Forex. And we thank them as well for support. We look at equity markets with SEI in the opening. And Interactive Brokers assisting us. With our Forex brief, the Euro a bit stronger here, fractionally. I would note elevated dollar through the day. Michael Purvis, fascinating this morning on uh, a weaker Asia currency call away from Japan, uh, uh, with an attendant dollar strength. We will, that's one of the big mysteries, uh, going into this year. Uh, sterling near a 141, 140, We'll leave the foreign exchange at that. Um, as well. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. And now we need to uh, chat on Herbalife with someone who's followed the soap opera and actually the serious accounting business behind this. Craig is with Bloomberg uh, News. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Um, you know, I saw the headlines. I, I did a shout out on Twitter to Herb Greenberg, who uh, works at a private capacity and helps CNBC out as well. Herb focused, as I did, On the actual accounting ballet, so let's talk about that. These are not gap questions in these headlines this morning, right?
4: That's right. Nothing to be restated. It's not uh, a number that analysts, some analysts, even have in their models. It's not something to do with the SEC. It's a, it's a mistake. It's an embarrassing mistake. It's not good, but it's not a, an issue of being restating results. It is a
0: mistake of a of things that would be in the annual report: new members, new accountability, and that obviously a market reaction. But it does fold in at the top line of revenue, which is price and units. How do you take non-GAAP miscounting of new members and bring that over to the revenue line? What questioning will you have in the next few days?
4: I mean, I think the big thing for them is sort of the psychological impact. This is a company that has a cloud over it. There's suspicions. There's people on both sides of this issue, but obviously high-profile questions from Bill Ackman, who's made a three-year battle with them. so. This is a company that has suspicions around it. They've made a mistake. That's what I think people are going to focus on as far as Mm. how could this happen. This is a big, you know, it was 70% down to 30%. These weren't sort of rounding errors. These were big mistakes that they made. But like you said, not a gap question. What's the time period involved? Because if
2: you have fewer new members, it would imply for an investor that your sales may be lower and you make less money. But if these are old numbers, we, are, we would, would we already have the sales figures for the period?
4: Right. So it's fourth quarter numbers. They, and the other interesting thing here is that they only started reporting these metrics in July. These are new numbers that they have just started to put out. So some analysts are saying, you know, maybe we're going to make excuse them. It's an honest mistake. The database just isn't up to what it should be. But so these are newer numbers, and it's dealing with the fourth quarter.
2: So it's hard to draw an implication yet as to what it means for future sales, leaving aside the, the accounting questions, but for future sales.
4: So that's right. I had one analyst say that, you no, know, these numbers aren't even in my model. If they had put the numbers out correctly, it would not have changed my view of the stock. That's how one analyst put it. But again, there's a psychological issue here because this is oh, a mistake. These are
0: big, big gaps. I mean, I, 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 my amateur take is first quarter. Is the first quarter of 15 January through March or is it a different calendar? That's right. So it's January through March. Not much change. But then there were big changes through the summer. You're telling me the sell side can ignore that?
4: You know, that's, it, it's a very, it's a fair question. Because these are, like I said, these were not rounding errors. This is one number was, they said 70%, it was actually more like 30, one number was 16.7, right. they said it was more like 3, so. Big, big questions about what's going on at this company, that they would be out you know, on a conference call with those kind of discrepancies.
0: Do we allow somebody with a Bowden tie to come into the studio? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's part of our agreement here. Did anybody sell this stuff up at Bowden when you were there?
4: That's right. Well, I am representing uh, Bowdoin College proudly today, as always. With I'm glad you noticed that. That was a yeah, subtle, but, 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 subtle but thing. But did yeah.
0: anybody drink this stuff or eat this stuff at Bowdoin no. when you were there? Not yeah. that I saw. Mike, have you ever tried it? Uh, no. Have not tried it. Um, There's some in the kitchen cabinet at home. I'm going home today to try Herbalife. I've never tried it.
2: All right. We'll get a full report from John Keane tomorrow. The, as you mentioned, um, there, there is this other accounting issue going on, and it right. has been for some time. For those who only dip into the news uh, every once in a while when somebody makes an outrageous claim one way or the other, what's the status of that?
4: So the stock before today was up for the year, and it surged like 20% last week when they put out in a filing that they were nearing a resolution with the FTC. So interesting word, resolution. The market took that as a positive, that maybe they're going to get out of this without, you know, major implications, but we've also heard from people saying they said resolution. They didn't say one way or another. It was purposely vague statement, so we really don't know. There's some sense that they're nearing a quote-unquote resolution with the FTC. Whether that's good or bad, we really don't have an indication.
0: I want to be clear before we let you go. Pricewaterhouse is their auditors are not involved in the headlines we saw this
4: morning. That's correct. They're not restating anything. These are just a mistake that they made, bad numbers on a conference call, but this is not an issue of GAAP or SEC, and they're not restating
0: Craig okay, Jimona, Mona, uh, forcing me to try Herbalife tonight. Thank you, I think. Thank you. <laughs> so much. Jeez. Full yeah. report tomorrow if I survive. Or, or I, what's it going to do for me? Herbalife, does it let you lose weight or does it gain weight? or
4: What's it do? You know, nu- nutrition, health, and wellness is, uh, is the pitch. But I think, like, you raise a, a good point, which is this issue of customers. And, you know, you say you haven't met anyone who's tried it. And there's a lot of people out there that say, where are all these people that have tried it? That's obviously the big question that Ackman has raised with okay. uh, the customers.
0: Craig, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, on Herbalife and We'll Follow it's 50, it's south here. It's, it's moved south in the last 10 minutes, 53 handled down to 52 and 5 eighths. I'm quoting eighths this morning, uh, Michael You're McKee. going old school. Roger here. Altman was in earlier talking about. Sterling Holmex, I talk about a name for the past. And uh, if Mr. Altman can talk Sterling Holmex, we can quote in eights. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning in quarters, eights or 16s, brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts with low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME group. That was very good. He was very good.
2: Yeah. On some of the nuances. Well, nice here. and concise and uh, gives a good impression of what's going on. As you yeah. say, it's a it's a story stock for most people. It's just you, you dip in yeah. it out based on the headlines. So I, to put I, it in I, I, Herb,
0: Herb Greenberg has been mint out on Twitter this morning on taking this from the gap hysteria and the accounting hysteria over to uh, what we heard from Craig Giamona. Very, very good. I, I'm smarter on Herbalife, uh, unlike the last three years where I've sort of ignored the entire topic. The 10-year yield, 1.85%. Uh, percent. West Texas South, $0.37, $34.28 a barrel. Uh, Brent, $2 away, $36.49 a barrel. Gold pulling back, up $3, up $1. Just sort of a back and forth. Jobs Day tomorrow. Bill Gross will join us. And as always, from Princeton, Alan Krueger.
2: Time to check in now with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines.
5: Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Donald Trump is firing back at Mitt Romney. It is in response to the former Republican presidential nominee planning to give a speech later today in Utah calling Trump a phony, a fraud, and a boon to Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton. Trump made the rounds on the morning news shows on NBC. Trump says Mitt Romney is a stiff, adding he got killed and decimated in the election on ABC.
6: Mitt Romney was a failed candidate, should have beaten Barack Obama easily.
5: There will be only four podiums instead of five at tonight's Republican presidential debate in Detroit. Ben Carson will be a no-show, having signaled that he is on the verge of officially ending his campaign. Malaysia will be sending a team of aviation officials and investigators to Mozambique. Debris washed ashore there over the weekend. There is speculation it could be from a Malaysian Airlines Boeing 777 that vanished two years ago. Astronaut Scott Kelly got a hero's welcome overnight. Kelly returned to the Johnson Space Center in Houston a day after landing a Soyuz spacecraft in Kazakhstan. Kelly spent 340 days in orbit in the International Space Station. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. And more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom?
0: Michael, thanks so much. Shout out to Brendan, emailing in today, listening on Washington 99.1 FM, Bloomberg 99.1 FM in Washington. Thank you so much for your support in our recent two-day visit. From New York today, Michael McKee and Tom in Bloomberg Surveillance.
2: Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Bank of America. Merrill Lynch's Global Cash Management Solutions, helping you manage, protect, and invest your global cash whether the, where the road to growth leads. The Power of Global Connections, Bank of America, North America, member FDIC.
1: Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
7: And I'm Karen Moskow. This update's brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 85 years. Learn more at ADR.org. U.S. stocks are lower with investors awaiting data on factory and service industries activity for further clues on the strength of the economy. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 down four-tenths percent or seven points in nineteen seventy. Dow Jones Industrial Average down three percent or 51 points to 16,848. The Nasdaq's down three percent or 14 points to 46.89. Ten year Treasury down 132nd. The yield 1.84 percent. The yield on the two year 0.84 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.1 percent or 38 cents to 34.29 a barrel. COMEX gold up half percent or $6.10 to 12.47.90 an ounce. The euro, $1.0917. The yen at 113.60. Kroger is the worst performer in the S&P 500 this morning. It is currently down about 6.7 percent after predicting slower growth this year, hurt by pressure on prices and its merger with the Roundies chain. Herbalife is down 7.5%. The nutrition company under federal investigation for allegations of fostering a pyramid scheme said it overstated growth of new customers and distributors last year because of database errors. And consumer confidence declining in the last week of February to the lowest level of the year. The Bloomberg Consumer Comfort Index falling to 43.6 during the period ending February 28th from 44.2 the prior week. A measure of whether it's a good time to spend posted its weakest reading in six weeks. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash, Tom and Mike. Karen,
0: uh, thanks so much. Uh, I had an email over the weekend who said, Tom, your work on Honeywell UTX a number of days ago was ginormous. And the reason it was ginormous is not because of Michael McKee and Tom Keene were mere mortals. But we got lucky with Peter Arman of Stern AG who gave us terrific on-the-spot, no-notes perspective on two American industrial giants. If you haven't kept up with the news, um, that mating is shifted aside. Peter, you attended the Honeywell International Day. Let me get this out of the way before Mike McKee asks you about Honeywell and industry in general forward. Mr. Cote cleared the air on the collapse of the UTX deal. What was the energy like in the room?
6: yeah yeah good morning, Tom. Good to be back on yes i mean he he did clear the air. I think he wanted to basically address the issue you know head on that he had not uh lost his mind from deviating from the previous plan. I think he just saw an opportunity to try to put two great companies together to create you know really a lot of shareholder value. but at the end of the day, you're right. going to need two to tango and and they just couldn't get
0: there. Did the board assist Mr. Cote in his new clarity of reasoning?
6: I don't think so. I think it. Uh, this is, you know, CEO-to-CEO uh, CEO discussion, and I think ultimately, uh, you know, Honeywell, he did not want this to be a distraction to what is really still a great story for Honeywell long-term, and I think that's what he wants to, you know, refocus on right now. All
2: right. Well, what is that great story? Because it looks like a, a, a UTX acquisition would have fit – What their growth strategy is in the short run, it is, it seems to be acquisitions. They, you know, sales were lower in 2015. This year they're projecting only a small organic growth.
6: Yeah, that's, that's true. But, you know, again, with, with Honeywell. Um, They're really focused on on driving that organic growth. And what that entails is really refreshing their existing products or introducing new products. And a lot of that is all about leveraging services, software enhancements, or connectivity. And that's the theme I think everyone needs to focus on is regarding connectivity. It's going to be a huge theme that Honeywell is executing on. Um, You know, we all talk about smartphones. Well, forget the smartphone. In the industrial world, it's smart buildings, smart homes. Honeywell has a presence in 150 million homes. Uh, in aerospace, there's smart controls on the engines. That data is now being used, and Honeywell's offering services regarding maintenance um, in the cockpit. The pass in the cockpit and the passenger experience is going to radically change in the next five years, and it's all because of Honeywell. The Honeywell's new weather features, which they're going to basically allow crowdsourcing among pilots, and that is that is something that just is not done today, and that's going to allow for smoother air uh, you know, pilots to you know basically navigate around weather much easier. Um, and then with the new satellites that are up with the KU band, Honeywell's new hardware, you're gonna, your Internet experience is going to be 100 times faster in the back of the plane. So it's the equivalent of a fire hose versus a straw, and, you know, I think we're all looking forward to that.
2: So, so this is a longer-term play as a stock.
6: Absolutely. I mean they still show that you know their organic growth is actually going to continue to inflect. And the fact that these services and these connectivity themes, they all come with a software yeah. piece, and so that software piece comes with a higher margin. So they can they can have a lot of confidence that they still have margin runway in their story.
0: And I congratulate you on the granularity of your note, folks. You get that from Stern A. G, not from us. Uh, Peter Arment uh, with us. Peter, on the use of cash and the M&A framework, you mentioned discipline. They're gonna come up with a twenty five billion dollar cash load. They're going to to do all sorts of cool things with that, but they're going to do it within the discipline of an internal rate of return greater than their weighted average cost of capital and double-digit ROI. I'll cut to the David Cote chase. How do you do that where nominal GDP is? I don't get it.
6: Well, I mean, again, they have the, the luxury of having enormous presence and strong market shares in a lot of these uh, markets that they're in, and they know the businesses that, that they want to go after, and they know the high-value-added CapEx that they want to spend on. So it's a amount of really leveraging that. I mean, there. I think that that's the most recent deals that you've seen, whether it was Elster that further you know, gave them uh, stronger controls in the, in the smart metering business, um, some of these recent software deals. That's all kind of leveraging the overall strategy from Dave Cody and the rest of the management team. What is
0: their practices versus a train wreck known as international business machines? What is Cote doing that Romney and the others could learn from?
6: Uh, well, I think he's, uh, you know, I think, again, they've, they've they've allowed themselves to really kind of benefit from some some of the big value themes whether they're still penetrating in you know these China and India markets um but at the end of the day they have a big local presence in all these areas where they are The equivalent of the Chinese competitor because they have a strong presence there, and they're able to kind of leverage that in terms of being close to the customers and 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 continue to penetrate those markets um, just in a smarter way. And I think they're well positioned for you know still a lot of organic growth in these markets.
0: It's amazing, Mike, how much Honeywell product is on our Gulfstream. I had no idea.
2: Yeah, you really you know (laughs) because you sit in the back and you look at the wood paddling. and uh, the The aquarium is something. Are listening, (laughs) Honeywell uh, six acquisitions they're digesting. Are we expecting more from them? And is that going to be a theme in, in industrials and in multis like Honeywell for 2016, while organic growth is difficult? You just look for, uh, for bolt-on profit?
6: Yeah, I think that's always the case, um, but I don't think they're in a in a rush to do deals just because uh, the global Mm -hmm. economy is uh, softer. Uh, I think they really, it's all about the strategy, and they want to execute on that. And, you know, thankfully that uh, this has been uh, a strategy that Honeywell's had in place uh, for several years now and with Dave's leadership.
0: Tell us about the rest of industry. I mean, it's great to go to a road show, and Honeywell's been a a wonderful performer. Can you go to other road shows within the industry group and get the same kind of operating excellence?
6: I mean, look, these are all, I mean, Tech United Technologies, they're, uh, you know, we're neutral rated, but, you know, they have, you know, very strong margins and a lot of uh, cash generation. Um, these are all, I think, uh, companies that are executing very well. Um, again, it's just about a different story of who's mm-hmm. who's got some strong organic growth and able to leverage that. Um, you know, in the aerospace, which is, you know, where I spend most of my time, um, you know, you still have a very big backlog between Boeing and Airbus uh, yeah. there, with, that's providing a lot of organic, Organic growth for the for the entire industry and supply chain. So there is a lot to leverage here.
0: I, I mean, I look at some of the you know, forget about the excitement of Honeywell holding water in a bear market. There is some red on the screen to say the least. I mean, something giant like Boeing or Raytheon are actually doing pretty well, but like BE Aerospace, you know, these are companies we don't talk about much. Is there an opportunity when something craters like that?
6: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, BE Aerospace is one of three interior parts company they're not inside the cockpit but basically they're in every other area knows the detail inside the in inside the uh, airplane and you know one of the things that we're seeing in the last few years and it's going to continue this year is global traffic growth continues to be very robust and so Basically, the aerospace mm-hmm. is a takeoff and landing play. The more wear and tear, the more interior parts have yeah. to be refreshed. And, of course, they also benefit from, from the higher deliveries at Boeing and Airbus.
0: we got to come back with that. B-E-A-V is the symbol. Peter Armand, thank you so much. Stern, AJ, you mentioned the wood paneling, Mike. Uh, B-E Aerospace makes the wood paneling.
2: Yeah, that's why you went to that company. Yes. You know.
0: Yes, we know. We have hard knowledge. Yeah. Uh, Peter Armin, seriously, folks, has been just superb with us in the heat of the Honeywell UTX. Up, down, I thought there was some uh, really interesting stuff there on, um, you know, not that we have an opinion on buy, hold, sell, but at least how to present a successful company to uh, the street. Mike, um, we have something tomorrow. It's Super Friday.
2: Super Friday, uh, we uh, put the um, the jobs numbers to the public, and um, we certainly have a favorite in that race. Good numbers, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, Bill, Bill we'll Gross? See. Bill Gross.
0: It's a movement, um, the Bill Gross movement.
2: Yeah, well, he has a new, uh, you can look it up. Uh, you go to Janus Capital's website and he has a new investor outlook mm-hmm. out today uh, where he examines the financials. Something people look at yeah. while they're waiting to hear from him tomorrow. Within
0: the politics of the moment, Jonathan Stearns and Toulouse, Alderman, and Epa, uh on Mr. Romney. Governor Romney tries to slow Mr. Trump's rise. Krama drawing billionaire, billionaires ire is the headline. Mm-hmm. This is Michael McKee and Tom Keen. We hope you join us tomorrow. We'll do five hours of Bloomberg surveillance. We'll do that moving towards Jobs
7: Day, 830. Be with us tomorrow.